Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Hosea's told to redeem an unfaithful wife here, and it is a picture of God redeeming his people because he loves and he desires them. Isaiah 43, 1 says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. What a beautiful statement. God is the only redeemer of his people. You have to understand that. He redeemed his people from captivity out of love. Deuteronomy 7, 8 says, But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God redeems his people to reconcile them back to himself. That is always his heart. First and foremost is reconciliation. He redeems his people because sin breaks relationship with him. Isaiah chapter 59 verses 2 to 3 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. But yet God lovingly redeems his people. That's fascinating. I always tell people the attributes of God never dry up. In other words, when he gives, there's never less than. It's not like you're digging out of a bucket of water. You know, you've got a cup and you're pulling it out one cup at a time and it gets emptier and emptier and emptier and emptier. With God's resources, he never gets lower. It doesn't matter if it's his grace. It doesn't matter if it's his love. It doesn't matter if it's his righteousness, his holiness. Nothing ever depletes. God never depletes anything. He can give all the love he wants, and yet he's never lower on it. And that's fascinating. He redeems his people out of love, but God lovingly corrects his people too. And that's what you see in verses 3 and 4. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore, belong to another man. So will I also be to you, for the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household god. Now, what Hosea does with Gomer here, there's views on that too as far as buying her back. And she comes back into his house and he says that she'll dwell with him many days that they don't have sexual relationships in the marriage during that time. And most scholars will absolutely say that that is true, but they say that this was an eternal punishment on Hosea's part. In other words, there was never a point where he was going to fully restore her as his wife. 
And yet the dwelling many days is indicative of what God's going to do with Israel. So it was never permanent. When he brought her back into the house, they abstained from sexual relations in the marriage until she was fully restored as a wife. And that is a picture of God correcting Israel. He even says in verse 4 that the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. And we know through history that this is in fact what happened to Israel. When God brought judgment, you remember one of the children were named Jezreel, meaning scattered. God had scattered the people. In 722 B.C., the Assyrians came down, they took him away captive, and Israel has never been the same since. And that was the disciplinary hand of God. And the purpose of the discipline was to bring them back to him eventually. And you have to understand that the disciplinary hand of God is a sign of his love. I mean, in Hebrews 12, it says that if a father does not discipline his children, he's an illegitimate Father, he does not love his children. So he always disciplines out of love, and it is a sign of his love. And in Hebrews 12, verse 6, it says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. In Proverbs 3, 12, it says, For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And God is a loving father. And when we're under the disciplinary hand of God at certain times in our life, it is actually a sign of his love for us. It isn't a sign that God hates us. I mean, so many times we go through these difficulties in life and we don't even recognize them as the disciplinary hand of God. Where is God at this? Well, God is present. Where's God? I mean, I'm going through this. Where is he? Well, maybe it's the disciplinary hand of God. He's more present now than he was before. None of you would allow your children to go off the deep end. You would, if you loved them, you would absolutely discipline them, wouldn't you? And that is a sign of your love. And whether they understand the discipline or not, it doesn't matter because you know your own heart that those are my kids and they're going down the wrong road. And to keep them from destruction and going into the road of hell, I'm going to discipline them to bring them back to the household. God always disciplines those he loves. And see, that's where our view is so limited that we think God is just there to give us good things and we don't see the disciplinary hand of God good. I don't know how many people ever came to Christ, even out of good circumstances. I know that when I cried out to God, I was at the lowest point in my life. And it turns out that I run into people constantly that have been at the lowest point in their life. They were in the gutter, maybe with drugs or alcohol, or maybe they lost everything financially, and maybe they lost their job, whatever, through decisions they made. But they come to Christ through that because God offers hope. And he offers a, a future, and he offers potential, and he offers promise. And people that come to Christ are always coming to him under when the bad things are happening in their life, many times. I mean, I haven't led anybody to Christ yet in my life that, man, they could say, oh, things are beautiful, life it couldn't be any better than this. It's very seldom but then when we become a child of God, we somehow think that circumstances come into our life and God doesn't have anything to do with that. 
realize that God's more concerned with your holiness than your happiness? And so he's going to discipline those whom he loves, like Israel. The enemies of Israel were used as an instrument of God's disciplinary hand because they refused to repent. And when things start going bad in a Christian's life, one of the first things I do is tell them to repent. If I'm driving with them in a car, I don't care if they get on the floorboard and repent, but I want them to get right with God again so that they can quit experiencing some of that pain that they've brought upon themselves. Suffering's an interesting subject in the Bible. And sometimes bad things happen to good people. And sometimes we suffer and we don't understand because our hearts are right with God. But God is still good in those times. But especially in the disciplinary times and seasons in our life, we need to recognize what God is doing in our life. Because when we see what God is doing, we can now move forward. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, here's what it says. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But rather, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I still remember what my dad's belt felt like. He's in heaven now, or he could get up here and give a testimony of how many belts he wore out on all four of his sons. But man, we didn't want to cross the house. We were like, man, you know, dad, that kind of hurt. <laughs> and his response would be good. It was intended to, <laughs> right? And sometimes we're under the pain and in this world, and we don't see God's hand and what it's producing in our life. One thing's for sure, when things don't go well, we look to God. We look to God. If you're out there today, I don't care if you're on the balcony or on the floor, and you've been on the wayward path and things aren't going well, here's my response. Good. Now you can return to God. Amen? How many would rather have Jesus than anything in the world? Amen. He's faithful. God lovingly restores his people. That's what we get to in verse 5. In verse 5, it's an incredible verse because it's an incredible verse of prophecy. Now understand this. Think of Israel and the pain that they are in. Think of them as they go to captivity, right? They're going to go to captivity shortly. Hasn't happened yet, but they're going to go. The Assyrians are going to come in, 722 B.C. Like I said, they're taken away. Think of them in the midst of this pain that they're going through under the disciplinary hand of God and then read verse 5 because they would have read it too. Verse 5, afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. What we have here are the blessed results of God's love. This is the purpose for which God pursues and loves his people, to restore them to himself. The Hebrew word for shall return there is the Hebrew word shuv. Shuv, it means to return. It, it means repent. It's like 
going in one direction, then you turn around and you go into another direction. It's like the prodigal son in Luke 15. When the prodigal son goes off and he lives this life of sin, it says what? He returns to his father's house. He returns. In the scriptures in the Old Testament, we see this word often. There's either a call for the people to return to the Lord or people returning to the Lord through repentance. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 4 and 5, it says, You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, When men fall, do they not rise again? If one turns away, does he not return? Why then is this people turned away in perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. That word return, literally shuv, means to repent, get back with God. And even though God was speaking to him through the prophets, like today, a lot of your pulpits are prophetic and they're speaking a word from the Lord to return, people still refuse to return to God. It's like, man, cherry-picking scriptures that they quote these like Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you, not to harm you. And that's true. That was spoken specifically to Israel, but the principle applies to us too. But when it comes to these scriptures where the prophets get down and dirty and get nasty in the faces of the people, they refuse to return. Why is that? When it's God's love that's calling. When it's God's love that's pursuing. When it's God's love that's doing everything to get his people's attention to turn it back to him. Why is that? Because we're stiff-necked. I like that. In the Old Testament, it was called, you know, rebellion was called stiff-necked. Have you ever had a stiff neck before? You can't turn, right? Some of you go to the chiropractor. <laughs> right? I did. Man, that's weird when they snap your neck, huh? Still can't get used to that. But man, maybe God needs to snap the neck a little bit to get his people to return. He's got a promise here that he is going to get them back. The phrase in David, their king, is a messianic prophecy which points to the son of David who is Jesus Christ. Now please listen to me on this. People that deny prophecy say this already took place, that this Hosea chapter 3 of God restoring his people happened after the Babylonian captivity when Cyrus became king of the Medo-Persian Empire and he released the people back in about 537, 536, or 539 B.C. And he releases the people and says, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild. But the problem with that interpretation is Israel never had a king. They never had a true king after their captivity. And even in the time of Jesus, there was not a king that had descended from the throne of David. And so we see that this prophecy couldn't have been fulfilled. In fact, Herod was the king at the time of Christ, and he was a puppet king under Rome, and he was an Idumean. He wasn't even really full Jew. He was from Idumea. And so God makes this promise here. This has not happened yet. It is happening, though, before our very eyes. God says in Ezekiel 34, verse 23, he says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David 
a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name of which he will be called the Lord is our righteousness. This has not happened yet. Speaking of a future time, note the words in the latter days, he says. It isn't the days of when they were released from their captivity. There's still going to be a kingdom with Jesus ruling on it, and that's coming in the future. Micah chapter 4, verses 1 to 3 says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Before I finish reading that passage, this is already happening. There's a foreshadow that's taking place right now. People are going to Israel. In fact, right before the pandemic hit, they had the highest amount of tourists ever all over the world going to Jerusalem and seeing the excavations and seeing where Jesus is going to set up his kingdom. It says, For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. There will be no more war. The ground will become productive and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This has never happened. In fact, if you count the amount of wars through history, it's mind-blowing. And it still continues. We're looking at a threat right now. They're saying that we may go to war with Russia because of what's happening in the Ukraine. That's a bad situation. There's Iran that's pumping up their nuclear program. Russia has provided at least a thousand scientists to Iran in order to help them produce their nuclear program. And people are asleep today. They're not seeing what's happening in the world. And yet God makes a promise to restore his people to the land. And once they get to the land, he's going to save them. Do you realize that in 1948, when Israel became a nation again, that in the whole land of Israel, there were only 12 Jewish people that can be counted that came to Christ. That's it. In the whole land of Israel, only 12 Messianic Jews, Jews that had turned to Jesus Christ. And now they just came out with a study, the Kaspari Center of Jerusalem. They published a new book, and it's titled, Jesus Believing Israelis Exploring Messianic Fellowships. And it says the survey was to determine a real picture of Messianic Jews in Israel. The project lasted from 2018 until the end of 2021. They found that there are 280 fellowships, but seven were unreached. So they surveyed 273 Messianic congregations and found 8,125 adult Jews that believed in Jesus as the Messiah. They repented of their sins and turned to Christ for salvation. This is not including children, and some will say that there are more like 20,000 believing Jewish adults right now in Israel, that Jews that God said he was going to save one day. About 10, a week ago last Thursday, I was at another meeting in Los Angeles, 
there's a group of pastors, about 10 of us, that have been meeting with the consul general of Israel. And um, he's not a believer. We're going to bring him to this church. He's going to come here. He interprets the prophetic scriptures in the Old Testament just like you and I do, only he doesn't see that as Jesus coming back to reign. He knows there's a Messiah coming, and Isaiah 53, they don't see as the prophecy concerning Jesus' first coming. So in their eyes, they don't have a Messiah coming two times. First for the sins of the people, then secondly to set up shop here on earth and to rule and reign. And so he's going to come here and we're going to talk about scriptures before all of you. And we're going to look in the Old Testament and he interprets them just like us. And our goal is, is to try and get them to Christ. But the purpose of the meetings has been the rise of anti-Semitism. Now this is going to blow you away. This time he brought the consul of economic and trade affairs. They had this man there. He brought him there and the guy spoke broken English. Hebrews is first language. He knows a couple other languages, but English he doesn't know that well. So he wrote out a letter to us pastors and he read it right there. And contrary to my thinking and my understanding was as he read, he said, the economy in Israel was the only economy in the Middle East that thrived during the pandemic. And he said, this is a miracle. And this miracle came from God. Now, listen to me. They, I want you to understand this because our economy didn't thrive during the pandemic. We pumped how many trillions? I don't know. But we pumped money into this. Our economy shut down. And this is what blew me away. After he was done talking, I asked him, I said, and his name was Enoch. <laughs> Enoch, Old Testament, why not, right? So Enoch was the one who walked with God. And he knocks a picture of the rapture in the church because it says he walked with God and then he was no more. And it's a picture of the rapture is God's people today. Christians are walking with God and then they're going to be no more. They're going to be taken up into his presence. We're not going to die if we were alive when he returns. But Enoch, I said, how could it have thrived? Tourism was shut down. And you guys were in a lockdown, even as severe as the United States. How could Israel's economy thrive? And he said it was a miracle because God opened up other doors in technology and exporting. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if there was another economy in the entire world that thrived, but Israel's economy didn't go backwards. It thrived during the pandemic. Why is that? Because Israel is God's people. And God is showing to the world, he's showing to the world that he still has a plan for his people. And right now we're seeing the foreshadow. Yeah, amen, you can clap to that. And this, by the way, should encourage you and me. Why should it encourage you and me? Because we're Christians that walk through a world of suffering, a world of trials and tribulation. Sometimes we lose our way and everything else, but we can always look to Israel as God's faithfulness because he's not done. He brings them back in the land 1948. There's now messianic congregations and they say it's growing exponentially. He's going to get them back into the land and at the end of the tribulation period, they're going to look upon him whom they pierced. They're going to come to Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation period. But everything that you see going on is God shooting up flares. 
in the air right now. And he's getting the attention of his people. The only way Israel could ever exist. In fact, Enoch, when he read, when Enoch was reading, he said, we are surrounded by our enemies. And we have the fewest people. He said, we are surrounded by enemies on all ends and we have such a small army. But God has protected us. God has protected us. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.